And welcome to another edition of the Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media. Yes, I know I bombarded you with a little Irish music last week, but I, I had to play the Pogues again since we're, uh, we're joined by a big fan of that wonderful Irish band, and that is Steve Conroy, the Boston Herald. Mr. Conroy, how was your St. Patrick's weekend? Uh, it was fine. I was on the road with the Bruins in, uh, in Tampa Bay, but uh, uh, we managed to have a little fun while we were down there, so it was good. Now, are they are they big into celebrating St. Patrick's down in the Tampa area? I know there's a lot of snowbirds there, so uh, there must uh, there, be some kind of Irish pub around. There, there seem to be. There seem to be. I think they had some sort of parade, which I was not a part of, but uh, they they seem to be uh, enjoying it quite a bit. There was all sorts of uh, green and whatnot uh, festooned about. Nice, nice. Yeah, I remember. I actually, Steve, I remember. There was a, um, oh, now I'm going to forget the name. There's a guy that started a, a, an Irish pub chain actually in Tampa that I met a few years back. And he, it ended up going to Boston, New York, San Diego, and I believe it was uh, L.A. It was called Four Green Fields. You ever hear that? Oh, really? It didn't, it didn't, I, it didn't work in Boston. The one in Boston didn't work out. But uh I just thought it was interesting how it started originating in Tampa Bay because I don't really think Irish when I think Tampa Bay. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you are you are a fan of the Pogues, my friend, and uh, yes, I you am. Know, we haven't heard we haven't heard much about them uh, going out on tour, though. I'll tell you, you know, Shane these days, from, from, by all accounts, is is healthier than he's been in a while, huh? Is he really? I don't know. I, last I saw yeah. him, he was he was in a wheelchair, wasn't he? Oh, okay. But, uh, well, yeah, I think he had gotten out. That's the last I saw. He had gotten out of that, and he, the big thing was that he has teeth. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen those. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's, uh, kind of unusual to see. <laughs> yeah, I you kind think, of prefer you, you think his uh, his uh, his his uh, his teeth or a lack thereof were kind of his trademark. Exactly that, and the copious amounts of uh, alcohol that he could digest and still survive. I really don't know how he's still going, but. God bless him. Uh, but let's get in. So you have been on the road with the Bruins on on the recent road trips. And uh, as we speak, you're down in Dallas as the Bruins be, uh, prepare for their tilt with the Dallas Stars and old friend Tyler Sagan. Uh, did you have a chance to speak to Tyler Sagan while you're down there? Sagan is with Klingberg. So is Spezza in the slot. Over to Tyler Sagan. He scores! I did. Yeah, we talked this morning. Um, you know, he's... Uh, Ken Hitchcock just raved about him, and he's become a player that, you know, quite frankly, I didn't think he was going to become. He's become a, a much more complete player. Um, you know, when they when the Bruins traded him, I, you know, I really had my questions as to whether he could become a, a number one center. But, you know, he, he, you knew he was going to be challenged when, when uh, Hitchcock took over uh, this season, and, and he's responded very well. You know, he's been a, been a three-zone player. He's got his face-offs up, up to you know, 55%, uh, which is, you know, mm-hmm. right around the where some of the top guys are. And, and he's he's really, you know, he's proven me wrong. Um, he's become a much better player than I thought he was going to be. You know, we always knew he had explosive talent uh, and all that. You know, that that was obvious from day one. But for him to, you know, hone the details of his game, it, it has been impressive this year. 
You know, see, I mean, and we can, we can rehash that trade all we want over and over again, you know, um, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is it happened and, you know, everyone needs to move on. But, you know, obviously one of the things uh, that apparently, you know, from by all accounts, that was a fact was sometimes the off ice stuff with Tyler and, and maybe just the lack of maturity. Um, but by all accounts from people I talked to in Dallas, he seems to have turned a corner in that respect and, and almost has become a leader in that dressing room. Is that kind of the gist you got as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and uh, Hitch made a point of saying, you know, it's, it's happening off the ice as well as on the ice. Um, so that's, that's, you know, what I, I'm hearing. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and good on him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm with you too. I mean, I noticed when you said in the beginning there, it was going to be interesting to see what happened with Hitchcock. I mean, the second they hired Ken Hitchcock, I was thinking, well, this is almost like Claude Julian again for him. And he didn't exactly get along with that system. I mean, how is this going to work? But for him to do what he's saying and what Hitchcock is saying uh, in a similar system uh, is pretty impressive. What are some of the other guys? I mean, you know, when you're talking to Hitchcock, uh, we all hear about Jamie Ben there, but who are some of the other guys maybe that the people in Boston uh, don't realize that are key parts of that Dallas team? Well, I, um, they signed Radulov this year, and, you know, he's, he's played well for them. Um, but the guy's really, you know, stepped forward and, and become, uh, you know, jumped into the Norris conversation as Klingberg. He's a, he's a terrific player. Um, right now they're without Ben Bishop, which is kind of, kind of put them in, in trouble. They've won one game in their last nine, I believe it is. And, and they're mm-hmm. four points out of a playoff spot. And, and, um, uh, you know, they're, they're struggling here. Uh, they're, they're coming off a road trip, a six game road trip where they went Oh, four and two. So, you know they're desperate, and you got to think they're they're going to come off flying tonight. Um, but uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Usually, you know that first game back from a road trip is is a tough one. But you know they 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 don't have any any time to uh, to to you know get their feet under them. They've got to win tonight. Yeah. And, and speaking for tough, I mean it's been uh, it's, I don't know how to describe what's going on with the Bruins and the injuries and everything right now. Yeah. Uh, you know it's just one thing after another. You were just telling me off air that. Uh, Tory Krug would be a game time decision on Friday night, and um, yeah. you know that that kind of took us by surprise a bit. The I mean, we knew he was playing hurt, but it, it I think it took some people by surprise a bit when he didn't play the previous game. And uh, you know, it just adds to the list going on. I mean, that Rick Nash. It was another incident where it was just you know right before the game he was a scratch, and uh, but somehow this team keeps ticking. And yeah, they're not winning every single game, but they're in every game. They're not getting blown out. And, um, you know, we hear about buying into a system. And if you, you execute that, uh, that's what happens. But is it as simple as that? Or is there more to it when a team sort of rallies together in the face of uh, adversity caused by injuries? Yeah, I mean, you always see that where, where, where teams are able to, you know, as you say, rally around when, when the big gun goes down. And usually, you, you know, it lasts for two or three games. and, and then you know, reality sets in and, you know, they can only, only keep it up so, only so long. But in, in you know, the, we may see that happen with the Bruins tonight, but so far they've, they've played, you know, very well, you know, with all those guys out, you know, the, the game in St. Louis, they held that team to 20 shots, you know, with, you know, half their decor out. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, they were disappointed in, in how it turned out, but I, I was pretty impressed with, that they were able to, to, uh, 
to play as well as they did, especially defensively. Yeah, and you know, that's the thing there, right? I mean, there have been some games where they're kind of high-scoring games, almost an 80s feel to the games, if you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. a star yeah. affairs. And, and then they can turn around and, and play a game like that. And I agree with you. I mean, usually you the type of game you saw in St. Louis is, is usually the game you see when the team is depleted by injuries because they really want to just – they want to play it tight. They don't want to. They don't want to give up as many chances. And but yet this team has proven that they can hang in both types of games. Mm-hmm. Even I, I think that's you know that's a great reflection on the coaching as well. I mean I, I I really look. I wasn't a fan when they let Claude Julian go, and you know I didn't like the way it was handled and everything. But it has been for the better for this team. And I look at this coaching staff right now. We we talk about Bruce Cassidy a lot too, but. There's a lot more to it. I mean, Jay Pandolfo is doing a great job. Sacco is doing a good job. What have you thought so far of the way sort of each coach has played his role in getting this team through this rash of injuries? Well, I, you know, I'm not sure I can break down, you know, each coach, but I mean, this, you know, it was not easy going all, all the way through this season. You know, he's, you know, Cassidy has dealt with some, you know, some serious issues, you know, for, yeah. you know, tops of which was, you know, a, you know, an unexpected, you know, goalie controversy. Uh, and he, and he played that just about note perfect, um, getting the most out of Kudobin and giving, uh, too good time to get his game together. And, you know, and then knowing when to, you know, when to go right back with, with, with Rask, even after a loss. Um, and, you know, the, <laughs> there's a game in Anaheim, which kind of turned the whole season around where they lost a the game. They probably should have won. And he challenged the, the leaders on defense and, you know, you, you, your leaders on defense that night, I remember were, were, um, were Zidane Chara and Kevin Miller. And he challenged those guys. Uh, he, did, he didn't call them out by name, but he didn't have to, you know, they had bad games and he, 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 you know, took them to task afterwards. And it, that, that game changed, and how they responded to that game changed the entire season around, I think. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up about challenging guys and, and, and challenging them through the media at times. Um, but one thing I know, just talking to the players, because I, I remember when he, was, when he started to do this early on, Steve, I asked some of the players about it. And I remember having a very interesting conversation with, excuse me, with David Krejci, um, obviously one of the veteran leaders in the club. And um, he said, no, no, we're fine because, you know, you may not know it, but he does usually run it by us first. He he comes to us first. And, of course, he's not going to relinquish what exactly he says to each player or to the team before he speaks to us. But the fact that he's doing that, you think back to the stories we heard, and I know it was a long time ago and, and people changed, but I really admire the way he learned about himself from his time in Washington and this you know, this far down the road, he's applying that and he's succeeding because of it. Because if you go back, you Google a story about Bruce Cassidy in Washington, the first or second one that comes up is going to be about the players complaining that he threw him under the bus. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, whether that was true or not, you know, I mean, you can look back and I know there's some people who who think that the players were just as much at at fault back then too. There was Um, a certain number 68 that had a lot to do with that. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Well, yeah, right, right. And, and, but I mean, uh, Cassidy will be will be critical of guys, and whether or not he runs, you know, 
you know, by them first, it doesn't come off as button pushing to me. It doesn't, it doesn't look like he's trying to motivate him through the press. He's just, it, it's, it's all matter of fact. And he's just saying it like it is. And he, yeah. he wouldn't, he wouldn't say it to us if he wasn't going to say it to them. Which is key. And, you yeah, know, and then we've absolutely. seen that you don't want to, especially, I think that's key too. And I, I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the main reasons. I don't know if you agree with me, Steve, but I think that's one of the main reasons that, the youth and the established veteran corps. And when I say established, you know, the guys that have been here for so long and that were there for, you know, 10 years on a Claude, some of them, that's all they knew was Claude Julian, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the key reasons that that veteran corps was able to mesh and sort of open up and allow the the youth into the the fabric of the dressing room, so to speak, because I, I think Cassie, just this is just my read the way I get it but just it goes with what we're talking about I I think he sort of he knew he had to kind of get everybody to believe and when he wasn't afraid to you know say something about a veteran to us and and also about a young guy I think that showed a respect to both you know and I I think the players were were reciprocal to that as well yeah and you know as much as they tried you know when Claude was still there as much as they tried to, you know, you know, invite the young kids into into the room and, and you know be a part of it and everything, there was still that thing where you know there were a handful of guys who would want a cup of Claude and the rest of the rest of them didn't, and they would, they never could seem to you know bridge that imaginary gap. Mm. And yeah, yet, when, when you bring in a new coach and you know, obviously Cassidy has done a terrific job, but I think if you bring in a new voice, all of a sudden everybody's in the same boat again. Yeah, for and sure. I think, I think that's I, gone a long way. Yeah, and I don't. I, I, I guess a click would be a strong word, but it was in that respect. It just seemed like there was sort of a little divide there, like you said, a gap, and uh, that's definitely narrowed and is not even there anymore. And that's one of the key things, right? And I think you know the one thing I see too is Chara. Like he, at first, it almost seemed. I and this is just you know this is just me reading. I'm not. I don't have any proof of this. This is just my speculation, but it almost seemed to me at times in the, you know, the last couple of years at Julian that, that Chara wasn't too receptive to those young kids. And yeah, he wanted, he, he was going to be there for them if need be, but it, there, there was something, there's something different this year about the way they've affected him. And it, it's almost like they brought out that fountain of youth in him. And he, he seems so happy coaching them like when you see them on the bench talking or you see them in practice and he, he'll grab one of them in put his arm around there I didn't see that in those two those last two years of Julian here I see it this year have you noticed the same thing well I, I saw it last year with Carlo I mean uh, okay you know Carlo was there with you know to start with Julian I and I I think he you know he enjoyed it there and you know he enjoyed teaching Carlo and and Claude was still in charge then at the you know up until February yeah. last year. It also depends on the kid that trying, you know, who he's trying to mentor. You know, was yeah, what was, was Dougie Hamilton as willing a student as, as uh, Brandon Carlo or Charlie McAvoy? That's a, that's a, a question. If you're trying online dating, chances are you've run into lazy text messages, dead end conversations, and random matches that don't turn into dates. eHarmony is unlike many other online dating sites. They take steps that other dating sites don't in order to find you a more compatible match. 
They are built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships, not a shallow hookup site. eHarmony uses years and years of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right matches. Right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Enter my code, BOSTONBEAT at checkout. Again, that's BOSTONBEAT at checkout. One more time, BOSTONBEAT at checkout. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com to get started. And don't forget, enter my code BOSTONBEAT at checkout to get that discount. Stop being miserable. Get happy and go to eHarmony. Speaking of, no by the way, Steve. Yeah. And speaking of, by the way, Dougie Hamilton, I, I don't know if you've been following what's going on in Calgary, but obviously, you know, they've, they're in a free fall and they're going to likely move mm-hmm. to playoffs. And, you know, one of the interesting things coming out of there, I heard Eric Francis talking uh, on Hockey Central, I believe it was yesterday or Wednesday, and he literally singled out Dougie Hamilton. And he said, look, this kid's great. He's got a ton of skill. But I don't know what the reason is. I have no idea what it is. But not a lot of people seem to like him. And we heard yeah. that stuff here in Boston. We don't know what it was. But, you know, I, I think sometimes people, when they want to go back and, and reanalyze that trade and they still want to bask on Sweeney for it, they need, to, they need to take that into consideration. Like, well, wait a sec. It wasn't just the Bruins maybe trying to, you know, paint a picture here on his way out and justify the trade. It was the truth. There was some. There were some issues there, and you know, I, I think Don Sweeney did a great job of making the best out of a bad situation, and I think, frankly, he's done a lot of that, Steve, and that's why the Bruins are where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, with the situation with Hamilton, from what I, I I've heard, you know, he gave no indication that he wanted to sign with the Bruins, and they were exactly, you know, they were in a position where. Uh, where they kind of had to move them you know, or, or risk, you know, uh, either Calgary or Edmonton coming in with a, uh, with the, um, offer sheet. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so that's it. why they had to move them. And, you know, if you don't want to, you know, if you got a young kid and, and he doesn't want to be on your team and, you know, I guess there's, there's, you might say, Oh, you got to use your hammer and make a sign and all that. They had power to do that. But if he doesn't want to be there, and he wants, and, and he's got the talent to be one of you know a pillar of your organization, but he's got a bad attitude. I guess you got to move on, right? Yeah. See I, what you can I mean, get for him. Yeah. What are you What are you going to do there? You're going to keep him around, and then like, and you know, what if there's not an offer sheet, he's stuck there. He's not going to be happy. That team's not going to be happy. You don't You don't want a situation like that to fester. Um, Steve, I, I want to just. Staying on the Don Sweeney topic here, and obviously everybody talks about um, how he's done a good job, you know, rebuilding the system and replenishing the system. We're seeing, you know, um, the fruits of his labor, so to speak, right now. But mm-hmm. what about the way he sprinkled in some veterans? You know, like I think of a Riley Nash, and I, I, I think yeah. around the league, that's one of the most underrated stories in the league is the success he's having. And by the way, he's a UFA this summer. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's just the the way he sort of I don't know if he's improved his pro scouting. I don't know what's going on there, but 
they found the right fits, not just at the youth level, but they found the right fits where guys that have been in the league for a while or, you know, a good enough time can come in and fit into that dress. We talked about the young guys for them, but there's been guys like Riley Nash, you know, that have fit in, like, fit in like that. I see Rick Nash and Brian Johnson that have come in. They look like they've been here all year, the way they get along with the guys. What's been your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, I mean, you said it. I mean, the, the thing I like this year is, is that, you know, he, he recognized at the trade deadline that this team, you know, he's got Riley Nash. You know, he may be gone next year. He, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's probably play, playing his, his way out of the Bruins salary structure right now. Um, and, you know, there, there are all sorts of other variables. Chara's going to be 41. Oh, he is 41 now. Uh, you know, who knows how long he can keep this up. I like that he, that, that uh, the GM recognized that this is a special year, a special team, and he has to go for it this year. And they went for it in a big way. You know, they got Holden. Was he was the first uh, you know shoot a drop, um, and then they got uh, then they got Rick Nash. That was a big one, and now and then they sprinkled in a couple of depth guys in, in Jonathan and Wingles, who are you know are in the lineup right now. And who knows who thought they would be you know back when they got them. Mm-hmm. I remember they, they they got those guys thinking, oh, where are they going to play? And all of a sudden here they are. Here are the injuries, and they're using. Um, that, yeah. that's what, what impressed me this year on Sweeney in, in overall, in general, having, having the, you know, the, the guts to go with this youth, youth movement, not knowing which way it was going to go. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. And you know, now he's the envy of so many other GMs. I, I'm sure, you know, his rival Mark Bergevin right now would, uh, like to get a little of his magic dust sprinkled up in Montreal because they're a mess. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't know, look, go ahead. I, and like you look at a guy like Jake DeBrusque, you know, before he starts, you don't know if he's going to turn into something or he's going to be the next, you know, Jordan Caron, you know, and mm-hmm. that, that's that that, you know, that's the risk they took. They had you know, two guys in the top six. They had, you know, a first year and a second year player in the top four defense, and you know that could have gone south, but it didn't. Yeah, and sure. and it, it, it took it, it, it took some guts to to, to do that. Yeah. And what's it, speaking of DeBrusque, have we heard anything on his injury and the timetable on him? It's just sort of indefinite right now. Uh, yeah, he, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> they keep saying day to day, but he's not on this, you know, full game road trip. So I'm, I don't not think he's really day to day. We're in kind of playoff mode right now. Um, and are they, but, are they terming it upper body or because, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure what, it, what happened was he, he crashed pretty hard. Shoulder first and into uh, into the boards. Oh, oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know about that or not. Well, he, uh, it's interesting, right? Because Dale Arnold said concussion two games ago in the, in one of the intermission breaks. Dale Arnold referred to it as a concussion because they had like I don't know it was uh, they had a bunch of brain doctors on and concussion specialists, and they said, well, you know, it's it, we've got Jake DeBrus going through concussion protocol right now, and. And that kind of caught me off guard there, and I haven't heard anyone else term it as a concussion. Yeah, I I haven't heard that that, that either. And I'm with I, you. I it thought, looks more like a shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got he's got an upper body injury, as far as I know. It looked like a shoulder, um, but uh-huh. also he you know he crashed you know pretty much shoulder head first. So anything could have happened there. Um, so I I don't know. Well, one guy that's been able to step in kind of not directly in his place, but at times in his place and, and 
you know, is a, is a toast of the town the story of this past week has been Ryan Donato. Winberg runs out of room because Carlo makes the check. Donato two on two. The trailer crew back to Donato. He scores! Ryan Donato's first goal is a Boston Bruin. Steve, and I, I guess just your take on, I, I you know, a lot of people are calling it a seamless transition. I wouldn't go that far, but it's been a great transition. I, I, I think, you know, the other night in St. Louis, he, he did cough up the puck a couple times, and that's that's to be, you know, expected with a young guy and playing in his second game. But just yeah. your thoughts on how he's acclimated himself and how the team's acclimated to him. Well, I mean, obviously that first game was, you know, you you can never see a game like that coming for a kid just stepping out of college and, and, and jumping yeah. into, uh, into a lineup like that. Um, I thought uh, the, the game in St. Louis was more of an eye-opener for him with the physicality of that game. And, mm-hmm. and what, what it's going to be like on this particular trip, because we're facing these these Western Conference teams who are a little bit bigger, a little heavier, and and pretty much all of them are desperate, except for maybe maybe Winnipeg uh, at the end of the trip. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he obviously shoots the puck well. Um, he's savvy. He's made a couple of nice passes, even though he's not um, considered a passer. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he's, he, he's projected to be a wing because of, you know, his, his shooting ability. But I think the time and, and Don Sweeney has, has referred to this, this time this year as a centerman at Harvard made him kind of appreciate the 200 foot game and, and what it takes to, you know, to, to play in this league. Um, he's made right. some, some decent plays in his own end, I think. Um, so, you know, we'll see how long it lasts and we'll see, um, you know, how much of this has been, you know, him running on adrenaline here. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what's not to like. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and I'll, I'll you make a good point. It's a good segue because it's one of the questions I want to ask you. Um, you know, you bring up the physicality and the Western conference style and somebody tweeted to me um, the other day, you know, we talk about how strong the Western Conference is all the time. It seems like for the last 10 years, we're always praising the Western Conference versus the East and that they're the power conference. And, and he said, look, there's a, it seems like there's a lot better teams this year in the East. And I think he made a good point. But it got me thinking, and you just brought it up there, that style they play, that physical style. And then you, you made a good point there about the teams they're facing, too, are playing with a lot of desperation because they're battling for playoff spots. That is what we're going to see no matter what conference you're in. That tends to be the hockey we see in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I guess my question to you, Steve, is do you think these kids – I know they've been great this season, but could that be a factor for them in a negative aspect uh, in the playoffs? Is that something that worries you a bit that maybe they might not be able to handle it as much? Sure. That's, I mean, it'll be new to, to these kids. And who knows, you yep. know, when DeBrus is coming back and, and all these guys are coming back. But, yeah, yeah, it'll be new. I, I'm, uh, I'm a little less concerned with McAvoy because he's, he's been through it. Um, uh-huh. You know, and assuming he's back and, you know, gets a couple of games in um, before, the, before the season is over. A little less concerned with him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, until the guy does it, you have to wonder. You know, yeah. and maybe that maybe maybe it's it, it doesn't matter at all. So even veterans who have never played the playoffs, you question. You know, remember yeah, when for sure when Nathan Horton uh, first got here, never played in the playoffs, and everybody wondered, oh, how is he gonna gonna deal with all this? 
turns out he excelled in that in that uh, arena. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> yeah. Mr. So you don't know until it happens. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, that's the one thing I worry. I I, I worry, Steve. Like, I mean, they've done so great. This season's been such a godsend, and they've they've created a buzz around the city again. And you know, because of that, you know, expectations are going to be through the roof. Unfortunately, that's just the way things go. Yeah. But I mean, I you know, for our listeners right now, I you gotta you gotta put things into perspective you got you gotta take it as it comes because you know if they go one and out i don't i don't think that that means that they're a failure i i i think that everything they've done right now needs to be taken into consideration because i think they're ahead of schedule a bit and i don't think it's the worst thing in the world but you know if you're bruce cassie how do you sort of prepare this team to handle those expectations because they haven't had it in a while here. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if I'm Bruce Cassidy, I, I'd say forget about the expectations, forget about all the outside noise, you know, do the whole Belichick thing and just take care of the game in front of you. But you know, if yeah. they, if, if they're one and done, it will be, you know, thoroughly disappointing because they, they recognize that this is a, a special team and, and, and Sweeney went out and, and, you know, he made some moves that you can't make every year. You can't give mm. up a first-round draft pick every year. I mean, you yeah. Know, yeah, it would be thoroughly disappointing. But if it is a one-and-done, it's not. They're not in 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 a point in their development where you say, "Oh, we've got to blow this up." They're still building. Exactly, exactly. I'm with you on that, Steve. Before I let you go, I just want to, you know, we haven't we haven't talked on air um, since uh, we lost a mutual friend there, and obviously a very good friend of yours and colleague. Uh, Stephen Harris, the Boston Herald, and uh, for our listeners out there that you know didn't really know Stephen, they maybe read his work. Uh, just your thoughts on on him as a person and as a, as the writer he was. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, it was a, a tough time. Uh, you know, when, when we lost Steve, you know, uh, you know, I already miss him both both personally and professionally. You know, he's a mentor to me. Um, you know. It's just, just weird, you, you know, for, uh, what was it, 17 years, you know, <laughs> covering every home game together and, and, and being on the road together in the playoffs. Um, you know, it, it's just, a, it's still a very strange feeling not having him around. And, and, you know, thanks for asking about him and, 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 um, and bringing it up. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, just, a, just a very, very tough time. And of course, one of the things, I mean, and, and, you know, you and I both knew it, but I, I saw it a lot when people were talking about him and I, I can vouch that it's true, but not as much as you, but he was just, you know, he was sort of the, uh, a throwback, uh, to mm-hmm. the old sports journalists, you know, we see in the old days with the fedoras and all that, but they just, he just reminded me of those type of guys. And he was always, he was great to just sit and, and kind of shoot the breeze with about whether it's hockey or whether it's, it was baseball and music or anything. I don't know. I always had good conversations with him and, you know, I want to just say thanks to him too, because he was always good to me. I was, you know, always working hard to, and he'd always give me opportunities and, and kind of network for me. And he was good to me. So, you know, definitely um, my thoughts go out to his family, but yeah, he just, that he had that throwback feel about him. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about him and this was kind of a throwback thing, it was never about him. You know, he always, he always recognized that, you know, it was always about the story, um, never, ne- never drew attention to himself in, in those kind of ways, um, which is a rarity now and nowadays in the media business. Yeah. Um, 
and make, you know that that's what made it enjoyable to work with him. Yeah, for sure. And he had quite quite the history. Uh, like some of the places did. he worked, right? Yeah, yeah. He really yep. he was a, a a consummate journalist. But hey, listen, we uh you know we're sorry for your loss, Steve, and we definitely uh will dedicate this one to uh, Stephen Harris as we go out and. My friend, you enjoy the rest of the trip, uh, and I'll see you when you get back in Boston, all right? All right, Murph. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Steve Conroy of the Boston Herald joining us here on the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. I'm Jimmy Murphy. We'll talk to you next week. Gun.